Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. For those of you who are watching online, thanks for being here. For those of you who were a part of a video teaching service last week, thank you for being on mission with us. Let me talk a little bit about our video teaching kind of concept that we've got going on right now in case you're new. Right now, video teaching for us is more of a reality than a strategy. Say, Christian, what do you, what do you mean by that? Maybe last week was your first time and you just saw me on the screen instead of here and thought, man, I don't want to go to church where pastors on the screen all the time. Right now, video teaching is our reality, not our strategy. Here's what I mean by that. We know that our online service every Sunday, those watching live right now, is actually the largest of our five services. If you took the five services that we had and then you took all the people who watch live on a Sunday morning, there are more people watching online live than there are in any one service. So we know that video teaching works. It trans translates, it ministers to people. Um, Our strategy right now is not to have a bunch of different churches around Lee Summit where I'm live at one and then there's a video every place else every week. That's not our strategy at this time, but our reality is we have more people than seats. We have more people coming to our church than we can hold. Last week, if our 9 a.m. crowd would have been at our 9.30 service, we would have turned about 35 people away and just said, you have to go home. And if our 10.30 crowd would have been in our 11 o'clock service, we'd have had to turn more than 100 away and just say, we have no no seats where you have to go home. So right now, our 8 a.m. service is live every week, and the rest of our services, once, maybe twice a month, are going to be video, but our plan is to come back together. We just need more seats. So on Sunday, November 10th, you say, Christian, when are we going to do that? On Sunday, November 10th, we're launching a series called Difference Maker, and we're going to take six weeks to show you what we've been working on for a year, a building that will hold all of us, a building that will fulfill our 25-year vision. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there. Really, that will depend on you and how quickly we want to move as a church, but we've got a plan to bring us all back together. Our volunteers on October 24 are going to see a sneak peek, clear pictures, crisp pictures, the inside of the building, the outside of the building. So volunteers, you'll want to be there. But for those of you thinking, how long are we going to do the video thing? As, 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 long as, we, as long as we want to, as long as we have to, but we want to get in that building as soon as we can. We've been working really, really hard to do that, and that will be coming November 10th. We'll start talking about it in depth. If you have your Bibles today, we're in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 is where we're going to hang out, so open your Bible. If you say, Christian, I'm brand new. I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I've never been to church. First, thanks for being here. You're always welcome at our church, even if you're um, not a Christian person, if you're just kind of thinking about faith. Everything that I read from the Bible will be on the screen. So you'll be able to follow along. If you have a smartphone, you can download our Journey Church International app and everything on the screen will be in your handheld device or your tablet so that you can take notes and email it to yourself at the end of the message or you can pull the notes out of your bulletin so that you can follow along that way. We are in week two of a series you heard Pastor Mike introduce called Grim Reaper. We are trying to learn how to make it through the most difficult seasons of our life with our faith intact. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out How do you make it through seasons when you're really suffering? How do you make it through seasons when you lose someone really, really close to you so that faith doesn't stop or just go away completely? I want to introduce you to someone by the name of Joe Cameron. Joe Cameron is from Scotland. She is one of only two people in the world that have the genetic condition that she has. She has a genetic mutation that does not allow her to feel pain. She literally does not have the ability in her body. She's got a mutation that turned the brain sensor off. She can't feel physical pain, emotional pain, fear, anxiety. She has no ability any way in her life to feel pain whatsoever. She had a surgery on her hand at the age of 65 that at the end of it, they they said was going to be very, very painful and she didn't need any pain meds for it. So they began to study, how do you not feel pain? And they realized not once in her entire life 
had she felt pain. They said, what about when you gave birth to your two kids? She said, it was the most enjoyable experience of my life. Uh, my wife would have said the same thing after they gave her the really hard drugs, like, like, but, but not before. It's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel a thing. Um, she often um, wouldn't know when she was cooking in the kitchen, she wouldn't even realize that she had set her arms on the burners until she smelled her flesh burning. And then she thought, oh no, I'm burning myself. She never has felt a moment of anxiety, never felt a moment of fear, never felt any pain. That, that sensor in her brain is turned off. And when I read that story, I thought, like, that would be awesome, right? Like, that is, if there's one genetic mutation I think I, I could take, at 41, I could do that one. Because I have felt pain enough to know I don't like it. I have felt anxiety and fear enough to know I don't like it. And if you can turn it off, I would love to have it turned off. I was having a conversation with someone about Joe and telling them the story. And I said, man, don't you wish you had that condition? And they said, at this point in life, yes. But they said, Christian, let me ask you a question. Would you want your kids to have that condition when they were younger? Would you want your kids to have that condition? And I thought about it for a minute and I said, no. Because unless I was like with them, like every moment of every day, they would never learn for themselves what was dangerous, what was safe, what was painful, what was healthy. I mean, at 41, yeah, I would love, I would, I would love to maybe be a little stronger, but no, I would, want, I would not want my kids to be able to know when they were injured, when they were hurt. And we're in a series trying to figure out this tension. Why does God let his kids hurt sometimes? Is there any reason for it? Is there any purpose for it? Do we wish he would kind of turn that off or does it help us in some way spiritually? That's, that's what we're talking about in this series. They asked Joe once she found out she had this condition, if you could go back and change it, would you change it? And at the age of 70, looking back on her life, she said, yes, if I could change it, I would change it because I've realized pain is there for a reason. It warns you and it protects you in ways that I did not have in my life. Pain is there for a reason. But that's a really, really hard tension, especially as a Christian, what do you do when you're suffering so much that you don't know if, if you can get out of bed tomorrow? What do you do when you've lost a loved one and it just shakes your faith to its core? What do you do? That's what we're talking about in this series. Some key thoughts from last week are this. Christianity is not good, all good all of the time. Jesus said in John 16, if you follow me, you're gonna have trouble. Life will not be all good all of the time, but when you have trouble, when you suffer, when you walk through dark periods, I'll be with you. His promise was not that we would avoid suffering, but that we would make it through. The miracle is not to avoid problems, but to make it through problems. We also learned last week that a proper perspective on suffering and death can lead to your most powerful growth during your worst times. You say, Christian, why are you doing this series? Our director's team met together last year, and as we looked at 2019, we said, what do our people need to learn in the areas of spiritual growth? Um, and we talked about, man, they got to learn to read their Bible. They got to gotta learn to pray. got to learn to memorize scripture. We, we should give our kids some Bibles. We, we got to teach people how to grow. But then someone asked this question, what keeps people or what stops people who are doing all that from growing? People who read their Bible, people who pray, people who are engaged in church, people who go on mission trips, people who are growing like crazy, what stops them dead in their tracks? And we said suffering. When they suffer, when they lose someone, people who are really going with God just stop. And they said, we have to address that. If that's the reality, that people stop growing when they suffer, we have to address that because suffering can lead to some of our strongest spiritual growth. And we said last week, having no plan for pain and suffering and death is a bad plan. So we're going to try a journey over the course of five weeks to, to get a plan together. Two groups of people are going to hear this series. 95% of us are going to be people who have suffered in our past. And what we learn is going to be really powerful about moving forward. Or we will suffer in our future. 
And what we learn is going to shape that experience in a really, really powerful way. That's the larger group of people. There's a very small group of people here and who are watching online as, as comments have poured in this week who are suffering right now. This is their year of suffering. Suffering is not in their past, it's in their present. They've lost someone in the last year, they've lost someone in the last month, they've lost someone in the last week. The diagnosis is not even 10 days old. There are a group of people whose suffering is, is real time, not past, not future right now. And what we want you to know is we're aware that you're there, and we want to try to present everything we're presenting with a humble spirit and a sensitive spirit, because it's hard to just kind of throw truth on someone when the bruise is still so fresh that if you touch it, it hurts. And our goal for you this series is just that you will take all this information and you might have to put it away for six months until your heart is just healthy enough to breathe again. And then you might have to pull it out and say, okay, God, how are we gonna get through this? But we know you're here. We're praying for you. We're thinking about you with people watching from all over the country whose friends and families have said, you gotta tune into this series because I see you're suffering and I think that this can help. So if that's you, we're glad you're with us and we wanna pray for you. So can we stop right now and pray for those who might be hurting God? I pray that you would help us today learn how to manage the tension between desiring a pain-free life and learning and growing through suffering and grief. God, show us how suffering can make us stronger. Help those who are struggling through a season of suffering and grief right now. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're in here, if you're watching online, would you just take a deep breath where you are right now and pray one of two prayers? If you're suffering, if you're struggling, if you're walking through grief, would you just pray today that Jesus would be near you and he would give one thing to your heart that would be hopeful as you leave today? And if you're not suffering, but you know someone who is, pray for them right now. And pray that God would say something to you that you could say to them or give to them that might bring hope to their darkness. God, those are our prayers. Speak to us today. Help us. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to read today. Romans was a book written by a man named Paul. He was a Christian pastor 2,000 years ago who planted churches kind of all over the Mediterranean basin. He had never been to Rome, but he wanted to plant a church in Rome. So he wrote to the Christians saying, hey, I'm coming, and I would like you all to help me establish a church there. At the time in Roman history, in the late AD 50s, early AD 60s, there was a Roman emperor who was casting all the Christians out of Rome. They were not allowed to live inside the city limits because they worshiped a man named Jesus instead of Caesar. So Christians were undergoing a lot of suffering. So in this letter to this church that Paul wrote, he, he included a little bit on, hey, when you suffer, I know, I know it's hard right now, but when you suffer, remember these things. And he gives us five verses on suffering that are really, really powerful. Romans Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Listen to what he says. He says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Here's what Paul is saying. Because of Jesus, we can now be close enough to God to feel him. That's what he's saying. For those of you who are brand new to church, Paul's saying because of Jesus... We can now be close enough to God to feel him. This word glory, the best word in the English language for glory is the word weight. Paul's saying we actually, man, we, we brag about the fact that we can now feel God in our life because of Jesus. But then he says this in verse three. He says, not only that, but we also glory. Remember, glory means weight, feel God. We also feel God in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character, hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Last week, we were about a thousand years before Romans chapter 5 with three guys. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They'd been thrown into a fiery furnace. And they gave us kind of contradictory statements of faith that we had to kind of live in for a minute. Um, They said this as they stood outside the fiery furnace. They said, our God is able to do anything. But then they turned right around and said, but sometimes he does not. Our God is able to keep everyone from getting cancer, but sometimes he does not. Our God is able to keep anyone from getting dementia, but sometimes he does not. Our God is able to keep anyone from getting in a car accident, but sometimes he does not. Our God is able to do anything, but sometimes he does not. We said last week, what do we do What do we do when we're living in the furnace of God did not? We know he he could, but he didn't. What do we do? Do we quit? Do we walk away? Do we not believe it anymore? What, What do we do? Paul gives us two very similar contradictions today. In Romans 5, 2, he says this, we boast, we brag that we not only have hope, but we can feel God. We brag that God is able. We brag that God is powerful. We brag that God is with us and he can do whatever we need him to do. But then he said in verse three, but we also feel the weight of God when we suffer. Paul says we brag in a God, we boast in a God who we can feel and who we believe can do anything that he wants to do. But yet there is this reality of suffering in our world, And in our lives from time to time, how can both of these things be true? How can God be able to do anything, but sometimes not do anything? How how can both of those things be true? That's what this series is about. I have two goals today as we dig into today's message. Here's what I'm going to try to accomplish as we learn together. Number one, I want to look at some reasons and responses to suffering. Rarely does suffering come in a one-size-fits-all package. Rarely are the reasons or how we respond to suffering the same all the time, but there are some general areas that I think could be helpful to you today if you are suffering to learn your next step, or if you know someone who's suffering and you're like, I'm trying to help them, but I don't know what to do. I think if we look at the reasons and responses to suffering, you might, you might be able to have some clear next steps or to give some clear next steps. And then number two, we want to learn that suffering can always serve a purpose. But I I need you to distinguish between a word that I did not use. I want you to circle or underline this word can. Suffering can always serve a purpose. I didn't say suffering will because that's up to you. Suffering can, it can always serve a purpose. But that is up to you. God would like to use every hurt that you've ever had in your life to draw you closer to him and to allow you to help heal more people in your future with your story. Suffering can always serve a purpose, but that is up to you. We're going to try to look at these two things and learn from them as we travel forward today. I'm calling today's Bible study Suffering Part 1. We're going to talk more about how God uses suffering next week, but today we're going to dig into these two areas. Number one, reasons for suffering and responses to suffering. I'm going to give you four areas that are commonly found in the Bible for why people suffer. Um, none of them may be the reason that you're suffering. They don't cover every area in life. However, I think they cover most of them. And as you look at these reasons for suffering, you might be able to say, that's why I'm suffering. Or if you have a friend who's suffering, you might look at that and say, I think that's why they're suffering. And if you can know the reason, you might be able to know the next step. So what do we find out in the Bible about suffering? Here are some reasons that we suffer. Number one is suffering we bring on ourselves. I give this one first, not because I think it's the one that is the most represented. 
It's just the first one that we're going to talk through. Suffering that we bring on ourselves. I believe with all of my heart. I believe with all my heart. And listen, don't take things personal until we get through the list of all four, because this, this might not be yours. Hopefully it's not yours. But I believe every time a Christian is suffering, that they ought to ask this key question. Is God trying to get my attention about something in my life? I just think it's a question we should ask. Every time we're suffering, I think a Christian could say, all right, Lord, I'm going, through this hard, I'm going through this hard thing. Are you trying to get my attention for something? God might very quickly say no. You may have one of the other three reasons for suffering. But every now and then suffering is because of poor decisions that we've made. Our biblical examples for this are Jonah and David. Jonah had one of the worst nights of his life on a boat in the middle of the sea in a storm that nearly killed him, and here's why. His poor decisions had put him in a poor environment, and that environment nearly killed him. It was all his fault. God had nothing to do with it. God clearly said, go right. He went left, and the consequences of his decisions nearly killed him. David had a time in his life where his family was falling apart. His family was falling apart, and it was because he he was a bad parent. It wasn't anything that the devil did. It was something David did. He was a bad dad at the time. And every now and then, we need to look at why we're suffering and say, God, is there anything you need to get my attention about through this? And God might say, yeah, yeah, there is. I'm I'm trying to get your attention that you don't pay enough attention to your family because you're, you're spending too much time at work. Yeah, I'm trying to get your attention that you can't flirt with every girl that you work with because you were married. God might say, yeah, I am trying to get your attention. If God is trying to get your attention, you say, what's my next step? It's repentance. It's being humble enough to say, God, I'm in this situation because of some really poor decisions I've made, and I'm sorry. When Jonah did that, God sent him a fish, and God will send your fish into your situation. If you are suffering because of just really poor decisions, God is gentle enough to help you through those. The next type of suffering is suffering of betrayal. If we look at number one and we put a percentage on it, I, you know, I would say you know, maybe 25% of people today are suffering because of, because of consequences, something you did on yourself. I believe number two is at least 50%. You say, why do you believe that? Just marriage statistics. I mean, 54%, the last statistic run of all people who get married get divorced. So at least half of all marriages end in betrayal, at, at least half. So I would say at least 50% of people are going through the suffering of betrayal. You ask yourself this question to figure out if if what you're going through, if what you're hurting is because of someone else. Key question is this, is somebody responsible for what I'm going through? You didn't do anything wrong, but somebody betrayed you. Somebody hurt you. Is somebody responsible for what I'm going through? The apostle Paul and the prophet Jeremiah both suffered through betrayal. They didn't do anything wrong. The apostle Paul was beat. He was put in prison. He was nearly killed just because people were jealous that his church was bigger than their synagogue. He didn't do anything wrong, but he was just successful. So people hated him. The prophet Jeremiah had his land taken from him by the government because they did not like what he had to say about the kings of Israel. Uh, At one time, he was put in prison, even though he didn't do anything wrong, but he suffered because of other people. You say, Christian, that's, that's my story. My suffering right now is because of what someone has done to me. What do I need to do? What's my next step? It's a hard one. It's forgiveness. I actually think it's easier to repent than forgive because forgiveness makes you feel vulnerable. Forgiveness makes you feel like you allowed someone to get away with something, but what you need to realize is God punished what they did. He just punished it in his son Jesus first so they could be forgiven if they wanted to. You may be suffering through betrayal. Your next step is forgiveness. You may be, number three, suffering loss. 
If area number one, 25% of people suffer through. If area number two, 50% of people suffer through. Area number three is something 100% of people will suffer through. Every one of us will suffer loss. If you care about even one person in the universe, you're probably going to suffer loss because Paul said in Romans 5 that we studied last week, all people because of sin die. Our world is broken and everyone's going to die. Everyone is going to suffer loss. The key question in this area is, have I lost somebody close to me? And this is a really interesting question because some of you are thinking not recently, but your reaction to suffering 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago has has completely shaped and reshaped your life. Mary and Martha are biblical examples for this. Close personal friends with Jesus, face-to-face time with Jesus, having meals with Jesus. And when their brother died, they pointed their fingers in his face and said, you should have stopped it. And some of you are here and you're saying, I, I, I haven't suffered loss, man. It's, you know, 40, 50 years. Yes, but on that day, you pointed your finger in the face of God and said, you should have stopped this. And your faith journey stopped. You say, what do I do if I suffer loss? Our next step is to turn to the comfort and hope that only faith brings. It's interesting as you study global civilizations, the only people who have ever made it through death are people who have a faith that something happens after death, that there is a good God who has created an eternal world for those who die. This area is so important, and because it will impact everyone, that we're taking the last two weeks of the series just to preach on how we should think, how we should feel, and what it looks like to move through death. On October 27th, we'll teach the theology of how we should think and understand and process death. And then on November 3rd, because I don't want to teach you, I just want to share a story with you. We've got two guests coming in. Brittany Booker-Price and her husband from Atlanta both lost their spouses in their 30s, tragically. They found each other. They got married. They have a blended family. And their ministry now is they go around and talk to people about how they process their loss, got through their loss, and how God has redeemed it in a really powerful way. The only thing as we approach this series that I struggled with is I said, guys, at this point, glory to God, I can't share my personal experience with loss. I can teach the Bible, but who can come in and and tell us their story? So we're going to bring them in on November 3rd. And if you have a friend who has suffered loss, who their heartbeat has just stopped spiritually, bring them November 3 to hear Brittany and her husband talk about, here's our story, here's our tragedy, and here's what God has done through that. And number four, maybe this is the area that you suffer. The Bible speaks most of this area, suffering that is senseless. This is Job's story. This isn't something you do. This isn't something that's been done to you. At some points, this is just what you witness. This is the latest school shooting. This is the latest massacre at the synagogue. This is the latest government uprising. This is the latest tragedy in some inner city where you look at it and you just say, this just makes no sense at all. It's not my fault. I can't really say it's anyone's fault, but it's just like our world is broken and it's senseless suffering. The key question to senseless suffering is how could this happen? And this is where spiritually things get a little slippery. Because I don't know if you noticed it, but the first three questions were all personal. What did I do to make this happen? What did he do? What did she do to make this happen? Who did I lose to make this happen? But this fourth question is not a personal question. It's a theological question. Basically, you are now questioning God or the goodness of God or the power of God. In some way, you're looking at life saying, this shouldn't happen And and you're kind of asking God, how can this happen if you are all powerful and you're all good? This is not what's going on. And this is the point in our faith where our faith kind of shakes. You say, what do we do if this is the suffering 
that I'm going through, senseless suffering. Your next step, according to the book of Job, is prepare for a long journey. It actually may be a lifetime of questions. Remember last week I said Christianity is a set of beliefs, not a list of answers. And a lot of times we, we want a list of answers, but the answers rely in faith. I don't know why that happens. I'll never have an answer, but my belief tells me I can trust God. And one day, one day he'll make all things clear to me. In Psalm 44, we meet a group of people in Israel going through senseless suffering. Maybe this is your story today. In Psalm 44, they said, all this came upon us though we hadn't forgotten you. What, like we, we didn't do anything to deserve it. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us. And you made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. Why are you hiding your face? Why are you forgetting our misery and our oppression? Senseless suffering. God, I didn't cause this. God, nobody close to me did this. God, where are you? Why'd you let this happen? Are you aware? Do you care? Are you going to do anything? God, where, where are you? I don't know what your suffering is. Perhaps it's a combination of those things. You made a poor decision that led you to a wrong person that hurt you deeply or you lost somebody. Maybe there's a bit of senseless suffering in it. Sometimes we learn through a combination of reasons and questions and lessons. But here's the deal. Suffering does not shape our life. How we respond to suffering shapes our life. Chuck Swindoll, that great pastor and author, says life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how you react to it. Losing someone, losing someone has never shut down someone's life. How we react to losing people that we care about has shut down people's life. Going through times of suffering has never made anyone quit, but how we react to times of suffering has made people want to quit. The question is, how will you respond when suffering and death come, how will you respond? Because life is not all good all of the time. So how are you going to respond when it comes? There's a French philosopher and psychologist by the name of Simone Wheels who several hundred years ago studied for her life study suffering and how people respond to suffering and death. And she said, when you look at the population of the world, there are really five very common, very natural but very unhealthy ways that people will respond to suffering if they don't have some kind of spiritual connection to God. I'm going to read through this list because maybe you'll find yourself in one of them or maybe the friend that you're worried about, that you're praying for, that you're thinking about, you're going to look at them and think, my gosh, that's them. That's them right now. Very natural but unhealthy response to suffering. What are they? Number one, isolation. Isolation. This is a feeling at first that becomes a choice long term. Here's the feeling of isolation. My experiences have made me different from everybody I know. I'm my only friend that's divorced. Nobody can understand me. I'm, I'm the only kid in my middle school whose parents are divorced. No one can understand me. I'm, I don't know anyone who's lost a spouse. I don't know anyone who's lost their parents at the exact same time to a tragedy. Uh, it's a feeling of isolation. All of a sudden, you feel alone, and you think, there's no one in the world who understands how I feel. It's a feeling that becomes a choice. I feel all alone, but then you choose to remain all alone. Maybe you're in that stage of isolation or you're watching somebody go through that stage of isolation. The second natural but unhealthy response to suffering is implosion. Implosion is everything now caves in. Implosion makes this common. I can't think of anybody else or anything else but my grief right now. I've watched people lose their marriages over implosion. I don't have time for my husband. I don't have time for my wife. I'm grieving right now. I've watched people lose their families 
I don't have time for my kids. I've watched people lose their jobs. I've watched people gain hundreds of pounds, lose their health because they just don't have time for anyone else or anything else. Their world is falling apart and all they can do is focus on their grief. I got an email from a friend who doesn't go to our church but who heard about this series, tuned in, and he invited another friend into this series who's lost their job, gained hundreds of pounds. He said they've thrown their entire life away because they lost someone close to them. I'm gonna invite them to watch the series as well. Implosion. I just can't think of anything but my grief. The third stage, you're, you're going to hear this one and think, yep, that one sounds familiar, condemnation. Condemnation sounds like this. What could I have done differently to change this? It's crazy how the mind will work. You'll have a family member that dies in a tragedy, and you'll think something crazy like this. What if I'd have invited them over that night, even though they live states away? What if, what if I'd have served something different when they were kids? What if I'd have made them go to the hospital sooner? What if I would have called and checked in? What, what, if, what, if I would have, what if I would have told them that I could meet them there so they'd have been there an hour earlier instead of an hour later? What if I, what if I, what if I, what if I, and something you had no control over, you begin to take all of the blame for, I think this is my, you know, if I'd have, if I'd have just done something different, something different, a natural but unhealthy response to suffering. The fourth is anger. They get worse, by the way, how we respond. Anger at oneself, I should have done something different. And, and, and then anger at others, or they should have done something different. So we, we bring others into our condemnation. Or just anger at the general unfairness of life. People shouldn't be able to do that. People shouldn't be able to buy that. People shouldn't be able to own that. It's just anger at the unfairness of life. And then anger eventually leads to, number five, a natural but unhealthy response to suffering, temptation. Temptation. And this becomes the final, what I call toxic effect to suffering because this is where somebody willingly with in their mind a good reason walks away from god we've leaned heavily on the teaching and writings of dr tim keller in this area on this series and he says this about this level of temptation creeping into grief he said suffering can little by little turn the soul into its accomplice by injecting a poison of inertia into it just spin around 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 you can't get out of it We become complicit with the affliction, comfortable with our discomfort, content with our discontent. We may not even make an effort to seek a way of deliverance or even wish for deliverance. It can make you feel noble, suffering. And the self-pity can be sweet and addicting. Or affliction can become a great excuse for all sorts of behavior or patterns of life you could not otherwise justify. I would never do that, but this has happened, so here's what I do now. And before, I would never think that this was right, but this is how I am now. And all of a sudden, you begin to act out with an excuse that because of what I've gone through, here's what I now have permission to do. Here's how I have permission to act. Here's how I have permission to treat people. And you find yourself not just struggling with God, but walking away from God, living an entire new life just because you have suffered. Last week, we said having no perspective during death and suffering will lead to a bad perspective. So this series is about creating a plan before we walk through suffering to say, how are we going to respond? How are we going to see it? How are we going to think about it? How are we going to move forward? Having no perspective during death and suffering is going to lead to a bad perspective. One of five, isolation, implosion, condemnation, anger, temptation. We read through that list and we think, boy, no one wants to end up there. Some of us have friends that are there and we're like, man, I would do anything to pull them out of that. What is our plan going to be? That's what this series is all about. The first thing, number two, is that we have to learn that suffering can always serve a purpose. But see the word can. I wish it was will, but it's not will. Suffering won't always serve a purpose, but it can always serve a purpose if we will allow it to. 
What types of suffering? All of them. The, the suffering that we bring on ourselves can serve a purpose. The suffering of betrayal can serve a purpose. The suffering of loss can serve a purpose. The suffering that is senseless can serve a purpose. You say, how do you know that? Because of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Look at what Paul said. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Remember, glory is the weight of God. We feel the weight of God when we suffer. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And then Paul will go on to say, hope doesn't even disappoint us. But if you have your Bible open, I want you to circle two words. These two right here. Suffering produces. This really is the key to this entire message. Suffering produces. And here's the key point or maybe the key question that I would ask you. This is the key. When you suffer, will you let suffering produce something or paralyze something? I mean, that really is the key question to your suffering, regardless of the reason, and I don't say that lightly, but for whatever reason you're suffering, this is the key question. Will you let suffering produce or will you let suffering paralyze? Just stop you dead in your tracks spiritually. This is the key question. The apostle Paul says this, when you suffer, when you suffer, you have this doorway opened to a level of perseverance you could never have unless you suffered but you have to choose to walk through it. Paul says, when you suffer, you get this doorway opened to a level of character you could never have unless you go through suffering, but you have to choose to walk through it. And then Paul says this, when you suffer, you have this doorway opened to a room called hope. This bigger than you could ever imagine it, but you have to choose to walk through it. See, when we suffer, we all stand in the hallway of affliction. And we have to choose whether or not we're going to walk through the doors that suffering has unlocked for us and grow in our perseverance, grow in our character, grow in our hope, or whether we freeze in the hallway or whether we leave the building altogether. Only you can make that choice, but suffering can produce something. C.S. Lewis, that great philosopher from the World War II era, says this about how God uses suffering. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. C.S. Lewis says, on our best days, we can barely hear God whispering. We're not even paying attention to him. In our conscience every now and then, when we have to make hard decisions, we feel God is speaking. But when we are hurting, our heart and our mind should be wide open to what God is saying, because sometimes pain is how God wakes up the world to who he is and what he has for them. Suffering can always serve a purpose, especially when it comes to showing us things about God. And I want to leave you today with three things suffering shows us about God. And then next week, I'll teach you three more things that suffering produces in us as we lean into Jesus. What does suffering show us about God? Three things. Number one, suffering shows us the gentleness of God. Shows us the gentleness of God is that he helps us through suffering we bring on ourselves. Some of you, and again, I want to say this really, really lightly. I'll change the way I'm going to say it. Some of you are going through what you're going through because of really poor decisions that you've made. You've brought it on yourself. Even that suffering, God says, I'd like to take away from you if you'll let me. Remember, he even sent a fish to Jonah. Jonah, I know all your poor decisions have put you in this situation. However, I'd like to get you out of that situation. The gentleness of God is that he comes alongside our bad decisions and says, listen, um, I know you're really suffering, I can help with that if you'll let me. The gentleness of God is that he helps us 
in pulling us out of the suffering is really our fault. The goodness of God, secondly, is that he also helps us through the suffering that others bring on us. He's gentle walking alongside of us instead of chastening, instead of rescuing us when we make poor decisions. But then when he sees the suffering of betrayal, God says, I have seen someone step out of your life and wound you deeply, so I'm going to step in and I'm gonna love you deeply. The goodness of God is that he steps into suffering that other people have brought on us and says, I'm not gonna let you walk through this alone. There's gonna be another in the fire. And the greatness of God, here's my favorite part. He's gentle, he's good, but he's great. The greatness of God is that he uses our suffering to make us more like Jesus. His gentleness is that when we bring it on ourselves, he says, yeah, I realize you did that, let me help you. The goodness of God is that when others hurt us, he steps in and says, I'm an, I know they hurt you, but I'm gonna help you. The greatness of God is that he takes all of our suffering, the suffering we've caused, the suffering that has been caused on us, the suffering of loss, the su- suffering that is senseless, and he said, let me help make you more like Jesus through this. Job, after he'd gone through his suffering, said this, I had only heard about God before suffering, but after suffering, I now see him. You say, what does he look like? He looks like a savior on the cross. See, before Jesus, we had only heard about suffering. We'd only heard about how God responds to it. But after Jesus, we realize he steps right in the middle of the fire with us. We realize that he suffers with us, which is why Paul says in Romans 8, 18, it's a big statement. But he says in Romans 8, 18, I consider, this word consider in the Greek language means think through to its logical conclusion. Paul says, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And here's the only logical conclusion. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul said, I've been thinking about it. And what I'm going through today is really not worth being compared to how much I will feel God and how much I will look like Jesus. What I'm going through today, long term, It's not going to be worth comparing to how much I feel God and how much I look like Jesus at the end of it. Suffering can serve a purpose. And the biggest one is this. We will see God and feel God and know who God is more intimately after we have gone through suffering. Keller steps back in and says this. Suffering is at the heart of the Christian faith. It's not only the way Christ became like us and redeemed us. It's one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. Suffering can always serve a purpose. One of the heroes of the Christian faith the last 50 years is a missionary named Elizabeth Elliot. Maybe some of you have heard her story. She was married to a missionary in Ecuador whose name was Jim Elliot, and they were trying to transcribe the Bible in an unknown language of a people group called the Aka Indians in the mountains of Eastern Ecuador. And her husband, Jim, and four other missionaries kind of flew into that tribe to kind of reach out and touch them for the first time and try to tell them about Jesus. And they were all killed. All five of them were speared. Maybe you've seen the, the movie, the, the Tip of the Spear. You've read her book, Through the, Through the Gates of Golden Splendor, about the story of losing her husband. Within three years, Elizabeth and her infant daughter at the time of her husband's death were living in that same tribe and had led to Christ, the very men that killed her husband, and they lived among them for nearly a decade, teaching them who Jesus was and how to follow Jesus. And I mean, became great friends with the people that killed her husbands and the other missionaries. After about a generation, 20, 25 years on the mission field, she moved home. She met a theologian who she fell in love with and married him. Within three years, he got cancer and died. She was intimately acquainted with suffering. So much so that the last half of her life was spent speaking about suffering and how she met God through suffering. 
The last book that was ever written by her at the hand of someone else while she was suffering from dementia was the book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. And in that book, she said this about her suffering. There have been some hard things in my life. It's an understatement, of course. As there have been in yours. And I cannot cannot say to you, I know exactly what you're going through. But I can say that I know the one who knows. And I've come to see that it's through the deepest suffering that God has taught me the deepest lessons. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. The greatest gifts of my life have also entailed the greatest suffering. The greatest gifts of my life, for example, have been marriage and motherhood. If we don't ever want to suffer, we must be very careful to never to love anything or anybody. Suffering is never for nothing. Suffering can always serve a purpose, but you have to be open to letting it produce something in you. Next week, we'll try to answer the question better how how does suffering make me more like jesus that's next week today we want to give you two kind of key thoughts suffering is never for nothing and suffering can produce if you'll choose to let it perseverance character hope we said we don't want to close this series with a quick prayer and then send you out of here into your cars to kind of forget what you've learned so in this series we're ending with a time of prayer and a time of worship i want to call our band to the stage to get ready We ended last week with the song, Another in the Fire. And we were reminded when we suffer, sometimes the miracle's not avoiding the fire, it's surviving it. And Jesus is right there with us. Today we're gonna sing a song called, This is How We Fight Our Battles. And we're we're gonna remember when our life is surrounded by suffering, our spirit is surrounded by Jesus. And if we will open our eyes to the reality, not only that Jesus is with us, but that Jesus will teach us, that Jesus will use our suffering, that Jesus will lean into us in this time to make us more like him, we're going to remind her that's how we fight the battle of suffering. We fight the battle of suffering by leaning into it and letting it produce instead of paralyze our spirit, letting it make us more like Jesus so we can know him, feel him, and eventually show him to others. That's my hope today. Our band's going to start playing in just a minute, and I'm going to ask you for the first kind of half of the song to just pray. You say, well, Christian, what do you want us to pray for? One of two things. If you're suffering, I want you to pray for yourself. And I want you to ask God to help use your suffering to produce something in you. If you're paralyzed, ask God to help you move. If you've chosen isolation or implosion or condemnation or anger or temptation, I I want you to ask God to forgive you and to choose a healthier path spiritually. If you know why you're suffering, it's because of something you've done, repent. If you know who has caused it, ask God to help you forgive them if that's even possible. If you're suffering a loss, help, ask God to help you hold on to your faith. If your suffering is senseless, ask God to give you strength for a very, very long journey. And if you are not suffering, but you know someone who is, pray the exact same things for somebody else. My phone was lit up with text messages this morning when I went back to my office after the 8 a.m. People from all over the country watching online who said, after you preach at 9, pray for this person, pray for this person, pray for this. So I'm going to pray for a different set of people after this service than I prayed for at 8 a.m. because I I got a whole new prayer list after the 8 a.m. People who are suffering, pray for them. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as our band begins to play Jesus? God, we boast with Paul that you're great, that you're all-powerful. We believe that, but we also know and admit that sometimes... We hear from you and feel you the most when we suffer the worst. So God, teach us to develop a Christian perspective and a Christian reaction to suffering. 
so that suffering produces in us rather than paralyzing us. Grow our perseverance, deepen our character, grow our hope. God, make us more like Jesus when we suffer. As our team gets ready to sing, pray that the suffering you're currently going through will produce something, that God will use it to make you like Jesus. Or pray for somebody you know who's suffering, that they won't just make it through, but that they'll become more like Jesus as they do. God, that's our prayer. Show us how to fight our battles. Convince us we're surrounded by your presence, your spirit, your truth. Make us more like Jesus in the hardest times of life. We love you. We worship you in this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray as our team sings.
look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Fight my battles by looking up. She's gonna fight my battles.